Thank you for joining us here again at South Suburban Christian Church. We want to welcome you, whether you're watching us on our online.church platform, uh, whether you're viewing this on YouTube. Uh, by the way, if you are, we pray that you will uh, like this video, uh, subscribe, and please share it to your favorite social media. Or if you're listening to us on uh, SoundCloud or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for being with us today. As you know, we're in the middle of a series, The Gospel. Today is sermon number four, message number four. Um, we have been uh, spending some time in Ephesians chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and now chapter four. And uh, we're looking at the gospel church today. Uh, this technically is, uh, we're now in the middle, headed toward the second half of the book of Ephesians. Already we have had Paul define the gospel for us. In chapter 1, that is, is the gospel is Christ. It is what he has done. It is how his merits are our own through faith and faith alone. Uh, then we looked at chapter 2, as Paul reminded us that we are made by God in the image of God. Uh, that God has prepared works beforehand that should be done through us and that we should walk through them. Uh, that is the works that the church, the people, you and me do is really, biblically, God working through us. It's not anything that we do to contribute to our justification or to contribute to our salvation. All that is a gift from God. Um, and the reason that God does this is because God is merciful. God is gracious. It is the nature of God. Um, last week, we looked at the gospel posture. That is, is that we are a people of prayer that we are a people who humble ourselves before the Lord and leading us toward a biblical definition of love uh, that, uh, through which Christ, working in us, calls others to himself. So this week, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and I'm going to be reading it a little bit at a time and then talking about it. Um, this chapter 4 is actually going to be in two messages this week and next week. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Encourage you to get your Bibles, open up your Bible app or version Bible app if you have that. Uh, however you read God's Word that you uh, find Ephesians chapter 4 now. Um, so before, before we read the first section of it, uh, just want you to kind of have this idea in your mind. So verses 1 through 16 uh, talk about the gospel church. And then the second half of chapter 4, uh, verse 17 through chapter 5, verse 2, is uh, where Paul teaches us about the gospel life. So that'll be next week. Looking forward uh, to joining and sharing with you there as well. So today we're looking at the gospel church. And here Paul's teaching is divided in a couple of parts. Uh, none of them are really more important than the other, uh, but they kind of build on each other. And so as we look at this, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and share point one as we start looking at God's word, the, and, and the, the first point, looking at the gospel church, the church is already one. The church is already one. O-N-E, the number one, unified, one. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Now, I don't really know anybody who's against that. I mean, who can be against the church being unified? Who wants to be divided in a local congregation? Who wants to be arguing? Well, we might know one or two people who like to argue, but that's not the common experience of most followers of Christ. Everyone wants the church to be unified. Everyone wants the church to be at peace. One of the most prolific statements about the unity of the church comes from Jesus' own lips. In John 17, verse 11, Jesus says, And I am no longer in the world. He's praying to his Father. This is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus to his Father the night before he's arrested and ultimately crucified. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Did you know that there are over 45,000 different kinds of Christian denominations in the entire world? Even among the Roman Catholic Church, there are 23 distinct groups that although they may submit to the Bishop of Rome or the Pope, they don't fellowship or get along with each other. Now that's something that most Roman Catholics try to keep quiet and don't like to talk about much, so it may not be the best conversation you would want to lead with the next time you're with your Roman Catholic friends. There are 13 different kind of Eastern Orthodox churches. <laughs> and of course, among Protestant denominations, there are divisions, well, in the midst of divisions. In the United States alone, there are 67 different kinds of Baptist denominations over a dozen different kinds of denominations or movements out of our own movement, the Christian church movement, uh, a movement, by the way, whose goal was to unify all Christians. There's about 20 different kinds of Presbyterians. Are, are you getting my point yet? And that doesn't even take into consideration the congregations or local churches that have argued, divided, split, fought, and say hateful, nasty things about each other. One would wonder, did the Father hear Jesus' prayer, let alone answer it? You may have never heard of Michael Kinnaman. Uh, Dr. Kinnaman is a Christian church pastor. He's an author, uh, was the dean of the seminary that I attended. He has spent his life literally focused on trying to get different kinds of churches to work together. And he is famous, well, among the folks that know of his writings and what he says, but he's famous for saying this, it isn't that God ha hasn't, it isn't that God hasn't answered the prayer of Christ, it's that the church has refused to accept God's answer. He would go on to say, especially as I have heard him preach, the church is already one. It is already unified because it is the Holy Spirit that has already done that work. It's just that we continue as human beings to be rebellious. We continue to refuse to accept God's answer. Now, in many ways, church has been compared to a family. And like a lot of families, like your family, well, folks sometimes have disagreements. My father, who's not, well, of the same uh, 
uh, intellectual uh, 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 pursuits that Dr. Kinneman may have done. My, my father is a wise man. He's passed now. My dad would always say this to me. He would say, son, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Now, when you and I were lowered into the waters of baptism, when we were raised again to new life out of those waters, we became children of God. And if we became children of God, that means we're brothers and sisters with one another and with Christ. Son, you, can't pick your, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Our relationships are no longer based on who we are. Your relationship is no longer based on who you are. The question that often had defined us prior to our accepting Christ was, who am I? And that's a question that doesn't really fit anymore for me or you. It isn't, who am I? It's, whose am I? Not, who are you, but whose you are. And Paul concludes this idea with the verse that, well, isn't quite as famous as the one he did in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but it's close. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Amen? Amen. But yet, my second point, we need you. The very next sentence as Paul is talking there in verse 7, after he has given that great summary that we're one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, the very next sentence, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now I know that may be a sentence that you might have to read over and over and over and over again. So I've kind of paraphrased it for us. And another way to say this might be because Christ is so incredibly generous and because he has earned all things through his life, death, and resurrection, he has given you not you all here, like we talked about last week. It's not plural, it's not the church. You, as an individual, he has given you the fullness of who he is for the benefit of all of us. Now, here is sort of a two-pronged charge that Paul records, and it's oftentimes missed. First, the first prong of this is leadership. Look with me at the uh, verse 11 there, chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And all of those things are good things. But before we get into those things, let's unpack that first part about our everyday life here in the church. And just as a warning to you, what's about to follow is going to step on some toes, including mine own. So let me begin by really just sort of laying it out so we can all get upset and move on. This is not the HMS South Sub Church. And my name is not Ike, and I am not your cruise director. There will be no shuffleboard at 10 o'clock here in the main sanctuary, and we will not be offering complimentary turndown, comfort, and encouragement as a service. I hope you're still with us. You may have heard of this phrase. Church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. I've used it myself. The phrase has often been bandied about for years to clarify to both the world and to the church internal that not everyone here has their life all put together. And that is, well, really an inescapable fact of what it means to be human. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And you know what? There's scriptural support for this statement, so I'm not slamming it. It comes from Jesus' word to the the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, verse 16. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick is what Jesus said. Now, at first, when you first hear this clever retort, it seems right, doesn't it? It, it? it sort of makes sense, even though we see that oftentimes that's not how it's lived out or realized uh, in the church. How the world views the church or how the church deals with itself. But too often it also gets abused that phrase it gets abused by people who <clears throat> like to think of sin as some sort of illness that they might be able to get over and not as personal guilt. Sometimes this line is used to lessen the impact or the responsibility for the bad decisions that we make. You've heard and you may have said, I know that I have said, well, I'm, I'm only human or, hey, we're all sinners here. And although I understand that, if we're not careful, it can dilute our depravity. It can miss that we are really a rebellious people and not just folks who make an occasional mistake or poor decisions. It also gives the false impression that the church is a place where people can go to get fixed or to get bandaged or to be improved, where God loves you right where you are, which is true, but God doesn't seem to love you enough to do anything about it. Now, to you, my dear fellow broken people, who coincidentally do the majority of the breaking, I know I do, most of the problems in my life are of my own doing, not someone else's and certainly not God's. The church is not a hospital for sinners. The church is a morgue for the dead. Yet it is the strangest kind of morgue because people arrive dead as doornails and they leave alive. Jesus did not come to fix the world. 
He didn't come to fix us. We're not simply sick or broken. We are dead. We also are not simply victims. We are the enemy, the evil dead who are always rebelling against our maker. And like Jesus, here at this church, we pray that as we come in dead, as we're lowered into the waters of baptism, we will be reminded that we die and we're raised again, alive. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus raises the dead. Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Romans in chapter 6. Don't you know, Paul says, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. God does not look at us as patients or in various stages of improvement. But instead, God sees us as his sons and daughters who were once lost but are now found, who were dead and are now alive. And the second point, the second prong, first with leadership and the work to which we're called, the work to which the church is called, but the second prong, we need you. Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The leadership's role is to equip the saints, and the saints' role is for ministry. Paul writes, really, uh, if you look back in the uh, original language, really what Paul's writing here is, is to perfect the saints for service. Now, we talked earlier about how the church isn't a hospital, it's a morgue. Well, here, that word equip literally means to bring to complete and perfect fitness mentally, physically, and spiritually. Now, if you go back to the whole what is the church question, you know, the, the church isn't a cruise ship, the church isn't a hospital, I'm not your cruise director. In many ways, what Paul is saying here is, is welcome to boot camp, and I'm your friendly drill instructor for the ministry, literally, the word there is diakonia. We get the word deacon from it. Deacon is one who serves. A deacon is a servant. We're called to the work of serving. And how can you serve faithfully? Well, the last I experienced in my own life, I serve best when I'm serving those whom I love. How can I love, Pastor? The best way that I can love is to understand, to know, to have accepted the love of God through Christ in my own heart. The only way I can fully and truly love, which is the only way I can really serve and do ministry, is to know Christ. The gospel is about Christ. It's what he has done. It is how his merits become our own through faith and faith alone. His work done through us. But we need you. And seriously, brothers and sisters, 
man, does this weigh on me as your local friendly drill instructor? I mean, your shepherd and teacher. I probably should use biblical words, shouldn't I? Look what else Paul says. There about verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What Paul is saying here is that he wants to see the church understand and know unity, knowledge, maturity, to the stature of Christ. Oh my goodness. That our work that we're being done is being, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Not tossed around by every whack job doctrine or snake oil preacher or crafty church politics. You take that sentence and you go back and see if that's not what Paul is saying there. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would always say, generally on a Saturday morning, come into my bedroom and say, hey, how you doing? And I'd say, I'm bored. And dad would say, well, come on with me. I'm working on the car today and I think I need your help. He might come in and he'd say, hey, how you doing? And I'd say, today I'm angry. He'd say, well, come on with me. I need some help doing some yard work today. How you doing, son? I'm depressed. Well, come on with me. I'm helping my neighbor with some home repair, and I need your help too. You seeing a theme here? Whether it's boredom, anger, or depression, my dad's antidote was compelling me into service ministry. So how you doing, brothers and sisters? You know, whatever the answer, the next thing's going to be an invitation, don't you? Well, how are you doing? Well, Pastor, I'm glad you asked. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of those sanctuary upgrades that the church is doing. I understand. You know what? We need your help. Would you be willing to volunteer on our live stream team to help make this service possible? How you doing? Well, I'm not really happy about how I was greeted last Sunday when I came to church. I understand. Would you be willing to come and join our hospitality team? How you doing? Well, I sure do wish the church would do a better job teaching our young people. I mean, we need to invest in the generation that's coming up. I couldn't agree more. Would you be willing to help us in our South Sub Kids Ministry, South Sub Youth? We need help with Awana this coming fall. Would you come help us? How you doing? Well, you know, when I came to church last week, man, pastor, that landscaping sure does look like it needs some work. Y'all gonna get on that? Yeah, we do, don't we? Would you help us with that? Would you and some of your friends be willing to come down for a day and help kind of clean up the outside of the church and get things freshened up? We need you. We need you. Paul calls us to be a church that's unified. 
And he offers us a very stiff invitation. Maybe those things that you find most distasteful in the life of our church are the very things that God is calling you to be a part of. I told you we'd be stepping on some toes, mine included. But then again, I'm not your cruise director. I'm your shepherd. I'm your teacher. And I have to stand before God someday. And there are those who taught me, and there are those to whom I humble myself so that I might learn. But this is serious business. Because this thing called the church, this is something that Jesus Christ himself started. It's how he chose to do ministry in this world after his resurrection and ascension. And what is so proud, profoundly humbling about it is he chose me and he chose you to be a part of it. And he has individually gifted each of us with strengths, with wisdom, with abilities for the benefit of all. The Gospel Church, church grounded in the gospel, in word, but also in deed. We need you. How do you get involved? Well, the first step is to let somebody know you're willing. You can do that a couple ways. You can talk to uh, somebody who's the director of the various uh, ministries to which you want to be involved. Debbie Donay if it's South Sub Kids, Pastor Joe if it's hospitality, myself if you want to do anything administrative or with the elders or deacons or uh, small groups and classes. Or you can go to our website, southsuburban.com, and there you can let us know that you want to be involved, and we'll get back with you. And even if we don't, maybe we need help with folks and getting back to folks, and that might be the ministry for you, helping to get back with folks who want to be a part of the life of our church. Pandemic's over, new world lies ahead. Disgruntlement and complaining and disunity is not going to propel the church forward. Unity. Humility. And a willingness, regardless of what life has thrown at us, to allow God to continue to work for us and through us for his glory. Last word, we need you. Amen.